Welcome to Live Doc, your online Doc Yomi Shear. Shalom Aleichem, welcome back to today's Daf Yemi, which is Chagiga Daf Gimel. We are holding four lines from the top of the Amit. In yesterday's Daf we learned that a fellow who is both deaf and mute, he is deemed to be deficient in his intelligence, in his neurological capacity, in which case he's considered a lav bardas, comparable to a shaita or katan who are pata from all mitzvahs. But if it's just deaf or mute, then he's considered a full-fledged bardas, intelligent individual, who's chayv in mitzvahs, except, except from mitzvahs re'iya, appearing in the Migdash on Yom Tov, bringing a carbon. And the question is, why? Why is it that when it comes to re'iya, we single him out? You don't have to take part in the re'iya ceremony. Maishno says the Gemara in Ria Why is it when it comes to mitzvahs re'iyah that doesn't apply to a fellow who is either deaf or mute? Umaishno le'inyan simcha demachayvi when it comes to other mitzvahs such as v'samachta b'chagecha, one who is deaf or one who is mute is considered an ordinary individual, in which case is chayiv in that mitzvah. Answers the Gemara re'iyah is different because we compare it to hakhel which also has that exemption. Lenin Ri'iyah, when it comes to appearing in the Migdash and Yom Tov, Gomar Ri'iyah, Ri'iyah Mahakal. We learn it via Exeter Shava, using the words Ri'iyah, from Hakel. This was once in seven years, the king would read out various chapters of the Torah to the, uh, to the, uh, the masses who congregated in the Everybody came together, men, women, and children. Uksiv in the Pasuk adds, V'voi kol leira ois. So we have the term leira ois over there by hakel. We have the term leira ois by re'iyah. Yeira echos churcha, similar term. We connect the two things. And just as over there, a fellow who is either deaf or mute is exempt from participation here as well when it comes to Ri'iyah and Yom Tov, he is exempt as well. Apparently, Ri'iyah, just as Hakel, is meant to be an all-encompassing experience, audio-visual. You have to really live it to appreciate it. And therefore, one who is deficient, one who is um, lacking in this capacity, he can't really experience the event properly. He is exempt. He is putter. Vasa Manila. How do we know that it's true? How do you know that by Hakel, this is to be, this is true that a deaf or mute fellow is potter. Everybody gets together. We read the Torah. So that they, they hear and that they learn, they absorb the experience. We learned in a Brisa that explains this possible. is excluding a deaf individual. He speaks but he can't hear. He can't really understand what's going on. Well, a general idea he has, but he can't hear the words of the Melech. He can't really absorb the experience. From the words, Uluman Yilmudu, we learn, we exclude a fellow who, although he hears, but he can't speak. And, you know, when a person can't really verbalize his feelings and his thoughts, can't express himself, it interferes with his learning experience. 
He doesn't have the ability to analyze properly, to absorb properly, to understand properly. And therefore, he's exempt from this mitzvah of hakil. He's not really going to have the, the full um, benefit of that experience. He's potter. And just as a deaf fellow or a mute fellow is potter from hakil, we apply the same concept to Re'ir. Says the Gemara, Lumeim, what do you mean to say, a person who can't speak? Likewise, he can't really truly appreciate what he's learning. You know, they say when they learn Gemara, you meant to verbalize it and express it in words that helps you absorb it, brings it from the stage of, of, of wisdom, of, of Chachmat, to Bina, to Das, to really analyzing and absorbing the material. Expression, enunciation, verbalization. So otherwise, you can't really appreciate the true value of the of your learning. Is that so? And that's why you're telling me that the man Yilmudu indicates that unless he can actually verbalize what he's saying, express it in words, he doesn't have the true learning experience and therefore he's putter from Hakal. Is that so? We have a story that disproves this. Vahanotrayomi. We had these two mute fellows. They lived in the neighborhood of Rebbe. Who are they? B'nei Barati, Rabbi Yechimah, and Gudgudu. The grandchildren of Rabbi Yechimah. B'amil Hassam say, B'nei Achsi, Rabbi Yechimah, his nephews. They call, Eh, Mazdava Ayel, Rabbi, Rabbi Medrash. Whenever Rabbi entered the base Medrash to give a shir, they came running. Havu Ayel, they would come in. V'yasvi Kamein, they would sit in front of him. They would listen to the shir. Umanai, they would nod their heads in approval. As though they understand everything that's going on. Umanachshin, Sifosayu, in fact, their lips would move along. Oh boy, Rabbi Rachmielai, when Rabbi saw their dedication to Torah, their mysterious nefesh, he davened to Hashem, boy, Rabbi Rachmielai, the Yitzhu, and they were healed, and suddenly they can start speaking again. Suddenly, they acquire the power of speech. It turns out they give him a test. These people that were mute from birth and suddenly start speaking, they were well versed. They knew everything. It's pretty clear that even when one is mute, when one is an elam, it doesn't interfere with his ability to understand and to learn. So that goes against the, the premise that you've, you've proposed. A person who can't speak is excluded from the man Yilmudu because he can't really properly learn the material that is being presented by the Hakel ceremony. Amama Zutra, you're right. Learning, uninhibited, no problem. But teaching, he can't. He can't convey it further. can't speak, you can't teach it. Karibe, Laman Yilamidu. Drash is, instead of Laman Yilamidu, pertaining to the person absorbing the material, that works. He can do that, but he can't teach it to others. So the Drash is Laman Yilamidu. We learn as though it would say Yilamidu, teach to others. So this mute fellow, Although he can absorb the material 100%, but he can't convey it to others. And that's the point of Hakel. Come there, absorb it properly, and then pass it on to others. Be that link in the Messiah of Torah. If one is, is uh, inhibited in his ability to pass on, he's mute. He can't be Malamid, and he's part of the mitzvah. So initially we thought, unless you can actually express your thoughts and words, then something deficient is something lacking in your ability to absorb the material. 
who disproved that notion based on the story of these two Trey Yilmi. So he concluded, Advash is not. Yilmi, rather, Laman Yilamid, we have to be able to give over to others. And therefore, the Elaim, the mute fellow, is excluded. Ravashi Omar, you don't need to prove it from the story. The Pasuk itself proves this point. What does it prove? That although he's mute, but his level of understanding, his level of absorption of the material is not inhibited in any way. Certainly the mute fellow is only excluded from as you explained, because he can't give it over to others. Because otherwise, if the point is because he can't absorb, he can't properly learn the material, the fact that he can't express himself gets in the way, interferes with his ability to learn, and it's Laman Yilmadu, and he doesn't have that. The way you originally thought, that wouldn't work. Because here you have two examples, two cases of individuals who can't learn properly. A deaf fellow, he can't properly understand and hear the material, although he may he may read it and, and, and see what's going on, but you know, the, um, the tone of voice, the expressions, that he's not going to get. He's lacking. In, in, in his ability to absorb and to really experience the learning the learning experience. That's a deaf fellow. And the mute fellow as well, we had figured, also has that sort of deficiency. So why do the Torah have to say both? Why does the Torah have to repeat it? These are If they rush to exempt the mute fellow was based on Laman Yilmudu because he can't learn properly. Because he can't speak, he can't learn properly. Likewise, the deaf fellow who can't really hear, he can't learn either. Why the repetition? So all can be learned from the first part of the Pasuk. You can't hear, so you can't learn. And likewise, if you can't speak, you can't learn either. So it's all included. Why does the Torah have to itemize them? You have to be able to hear they just speak. It's both based on the same, the same premise of uh, inability to properly learn. Says Ravashi. It's pretty clear. There's nothing wrong with this mute fellow. He can learn properly. Doesn't interfere with his ability to learn. Rather, he can't be malamed. Oh, that's the point. He can't convey it. For, he can't pass it on. They have to be able to teach others. So that's an added chiddush. Laman Yishmo tells you, you have to be able to hear. Why? So you learn. So you absorb properly. That's number one. As opposed to a deaf fellow. What about a mute fellow? He can learn properly. Like these two ilmim. Not a full grasp of the entire Torah. Notwithstanding their deficiency. So what? So why they potter? Because you can't pass it on to others, so you're not obligated to take part in that hakel experience. Omar of Tanchum. Let's go back to Re'iyah. If a fellow is deaf even in one ear, he can't really uh, truly experience that comprehensive uh, Re'iyah experience, he's pot. Just like he's pot of hakel. He meant to convey the Torah in their ears. Both ears have to be fully functioning. 
Perhaps not in reference to both ears of the same person. We're speaking about Kali Yisrael. Declare, read the Torah Bosnian in their ears of all Yisrael that are present. Perhaps one functioning ear is enough. Why Bosnian? It's needed. Bosnian, the Kali Yisrael. Go teach it to Kali Yisrael. But who's to say that both ears have to be properly functioning? Well, just simply to tell you that you have to do it in the presence of Yisrael. We have another Pasuk. Do it in the presence of Yisrael, opposite Yisrael. Apparently the word Buzz name, which is an extra word, is coming to tell you that halacha. You need two properly functioning ears. No. If only from that. Perhaps I would think. Do it opposite them. Even if they're standing at a distance. Even if the fellows in, standing in the back and the bleachers can't hear you, that's okay, as long as they see you reading. Even if they're standing far away, they can't hear. And that's why Kasr Rahman Abbas Nayyam, Buddha Shami. Buddha tells you, no, they have to hear. Perhaps that's the point of the Pasuk. Nothing to do with functioning ears. No. That's not from the other Pasuk. You have to hear to hear. You can't be deaf. And you have to be standing nearby to hear. To absorb the lesson being taught. So once you know that, why does the Pasuk have to repeat Buzz Nayyam? Oh, to tell you this Chiddush. That Chirish Bozna Achaz is part of it. in similar fashion, Even if one is limping in, on one foot, he has one damaged foot, he's Potter from Aliyah Lerega, Potter from Riyah. Shanama Rigol. Shalash Rigolim, we learned yesterday, Rigolim and Raglayim go hand in hand. So he needs two properly functioning feet. That word is needed for another Russia to exclude a fellow whose uh, foot is cut off, who's, uh, who uses a calf, some sort of artificial leg. But a limping fellow, who says that he's potter? If it's only on one foot. But that alocha, to exclude bali kabin, the fellow who's walking on a stump, that's learned from another pasuk. Pama means times, occasions, again, a reference to a foot. The occasion arrives, it comes towards you, so occasions and feet go together. And we learn from there, one has to have a proper, properly designed foot. The sanya, pa'amim, ain't pa'amim el raglayim, referring to feet. Right from a pasuk, termas, na regal ragli ani, pa'ami down. So you see the regal and pa'ami go hand in hand, they're both a reference to feet. Another raya. How beautiful are your footsteps? Your legs uh, encased in, in shoes on your way up to Hashem to Beis Hamikdash. Bas Nadiv reference to Klal as we're going to see in a minute. In any case, we see that Pa'amim is a reference to uh, properly functioning feet, and it's going to uh, tell us that a Bali Kabin. Uh, are excluded from a riyah, this fellow was missing the bottom of his foot. So once we know that from Pa'amim, we have the extra Lashen Regalm to tell you, rag line, one needs properly functioning legs, as opposed to a fellow who is limping, even on one foot, he's Pata from riyah. Once we're on the topic of Mayafa Pa'amayich, says the Gemara Darashra, Ma'idich Siv, what does the Pasuk mean when it says, Mayafu Pa'amayich 
Bano Olim Bas Nadif. We learn as follows. Kama noin raglein shal Yisrael. Look how beautiful are the legs, are the footsteps of Klal Yisrael. B'shosh oin l'regel. On the way up to Yushalayim, the way up to Beis HaMikdash, Ali l'regel. And the Apostle concludes, Bas Nadif. Reference to Klal Yisrael, the daughter of the donor. The one who stepped forward. Avram Avinu. The first one who volunteered to join the ranks, the first year, the first gear, we find another Pasuk as well. This reference to Avram Avinu. The Gerim, amongst all the nations, will gather together and join Klaishol, who is considered Am Elke Avram. Why is Klaishol called Am of Elke Avram? Elke Avram? Ella, rather, in this context, over here, in the context of Gerim, we attribute Klaishol to the first Ger, Avram Avinu. And likewise, the other Gerim who join the fold, who come to Klaishol, they are going to attach themselves to Klaishol, who had a grandfather, Avram Avinu, who enabled the concept of Gerim. Ella, Lekei Avram, Shoyetchila Lekerim. Om Ravgan, Doresh, Ravnosen, Barmanyumi, Mishum Rabbi Tamchum, another drush in the name of Rabbi Tamchum, the same Andom. Maidich said, what does the Pesach mean when they were going to throw Yosef um, HaTzadik into the burr to save him from uh, from death? Right? This was Reuven's plan. And the Pesach says, look, what was in the burr? V'abur rik, the burr was empty, ain't by mine without water. Isn't that a uh, redundant lotion? In Mash Rashanemar, Vaboy Rik, once you say the burr was empty, well, of course, any day, Ashim Baimim, don't I already know there's no water there? Ella, rather, there's a drasha. There's a, another pshat in this Pasik. Mayim Aimboy, although there was no water in the burr, Aval Nachashim Vakram Yeshboy, but certainly there were creatures, there were snakes and scorpions in this burr. It's interesting to note that the Gemara in Shabbos has this drasha here. Uh, of the burr being filled with snakes next to another drasha, another halacha that the uh, menorah and Hanukkah is meant to be placed no higher than 20 amma because it needs to be within within uh, the field of vision in order to create persumanisa. So the uh, halacha of persumanisa, which uh, which uh, which mandates the, the placement of the menorah under 20 amma is situated next to this drasha of the burr being empty of water but filled with snakes and the, uh, the bali agada make that connection. What's the correlation between the two concepts? They say, look, there's really a kasha to be asked. They wanted to send, to drop Yosef into the bar. Okay, no water, but it's full of snakes. They're trying to save his life. So what are you doing by putting him into a bar with snakes? Territ says they were standing above 20 yam. Reuben couldn't look down that far because above 20 yam, you don't really notice. Just as the Hanukkah menorah cannot be placed higher than 20 yam in order for it to be within one's field of vision, to make that persumenisa, and that's why the Gemara puts the two concepts one next to the other. Tana Rabbanu, we learned on the price. Ma'asab Rabbi Yechonah ben Breikah, there was a story involving Rabbi Yechonah, Rabbi Lezer, ben Chisma, Shalchu, they went on Yom Tov, Lahakbil, Pnei Rabbi Yishu, to visit the, the Rabbi Rabbi Yishu in the town of Pekin. Omer Lehem, Mr. Rabbi Yishu turns to them, Ma'chidush, Hoya, Beis Hamedush, Hayoyim, tell me something new in the Beis Hamedush, what happened in the Beis Hamedush today? Anything interesting? Armoli said, tell him, we're going to teach you. We're coming to hear from you. We're your students. We're here to drink your waters. Teach us something. Armoli said, tell him, even so, it cannot be a day in the base of Medrash without a Chiddush. There must have been something interesting today. Please convey that to me. 
whose uh, week was it? You know, they had a rotation. The Gemara Brachas Chavches speaks about the fact that Rabbi Lezben Azayi, when he took over the the mantle of, of leadership, they um, they still allowed Rabbi Gamliel, the former Nasi, who was actually restored, um, to to take a, a, a rotation to do a shear. Uh, they would switch off. Actually, Rabbi Lezben Azayi did one week out of four. The rest was Rabbi Gamliel. So who was this? Um, this Shabbos, who was in charge? Who was the one that gave the drasha? Shabbos Shomi Hoysa. And the answer was Shabbos Shabbos Nazar Yehoysa was his week. He spoke in the Beis HaMedrash. Okay, so what did he speak about? What was the Haggadah that he spoke about? What was the drashas that he gave? Omrelois, they told him, but Pashas Hakel, he discussed the Sugi of Hakel. Umar what did he say? The Pasuk says, Hakel Asam, gather together the nation. All elements of the nation, Ha'anoshem. Men, women, and children. I understand why the men come. They come to learn. Women, although they're not really engaged in the learning aspect, they come to get inspired, to hear what they can hear, to carry them on, to inspire them. What about the little toddlers? Tough. They don't appreciate uh, standing in the Azor, listening to the king. Why are they there? The answer is, for them as well, it's something that although they don't appreciate it now, but it's going to affect them long term. And therefore, the parents who are Mesonefers, to bring them along, they get schar as well. Hashem gives schar to the parents who bring them along. And Taisus brings, based on this Gemara, we bring little children to the shul. Perhaps they don't sit through davening, but slowly but surely, it sinks in, it's absorbed, and eventually, it uh, they'll catch on. So that's what he said. That's why the men, women, and children all come to Hakel. Amr Lamsur Bishow responds, Margolis Teva Hoysabiyatham. Look, you had this beautiful pearl, Ubikashim La Abdumani, and you were about to deprive me of it. Good thing you told me this nice Russia. Boy Dorash Rablazar actually added more in his Russia. Pasak says, That's Hashem Hamarta Hayoim. Vashem Hemircha Hayoim. What does Hemarta mean? To hold something special, to elevate it, to give it value. Hashem tells Yisrael as follows. Look, we have a deal. You treated me like something unique and special. You elevated me. You testified to my oneness and Hashem being the source of all existence. And therefore, likewise, I will do the same to you. I will elevate you and treat you different than everybody else. I will be Meshabach, you praise you and hold you higher than the rest. What do we find that Israel hold Hashem to be unique and special? There's only one. And therefore, I would treat you likewise. Israel is that unique nation amongst all the nations of the land. Rabbi continued further in the base of Medrash. We have a passing Kelis that reads, The words of Chacham are compared to Darboin. Darboin is that goat, that, go, that stick, which is used to lead the animals out in the field. Now the Gemara will explain. Why is Torah compared to this goad, this um, uh, staff used to lead the animals? Let me look to tell you as follows. Ma Darboin just as this darban is used to lead the animal, the para, on the furrows of the field, to um, to process the field, to, to work the field, to um, to uh, enable growth and 
produce chayim food which feeds the world. likewise Torah. It directs its learners. One who is steeped in Torah, one who is immersed in Torah, one who is learning Torah, he has that clarity, and the Torah affords him the ability to steer clear of all pitfalls in life. It's mechavin in Islam dayan midarke misa lakechayim affords him the clarity to avoid pitfalls of misa and leads him on the path of life. Perhaps, just as this darban stick is mobile and unstable, as well as something unstable, we compare it to a nail on the wall. It's just like the masmer stays in place, it's stable for all time, Torah is absolute, it's eternal. Perhaps, just like this nail, you knock it into the wall, slowly it slips out of sight. Perhaps Torah as well diminishes and weakens over time and loses its effectiveness. We compare it to a plant. Just like a plant, it grows and prospers after Torah as well. Another chiddush, another insight, another angle. It just grows and grows. It's not just discovering Torah, it's creating Torah. When you learn, you delve and you analyze, you're actually adding and be mechadish, parav of Torah. You're experiencing that ongoing, ongoing growth of Torah. The pasuk continues. These are the groups of Chachamim sitting and learning. They're sitting in groups and discussing and debating the words of Torah. Sitting groups by groups, and involved in Torah and expressing their personal opinions, analyzing, debating opinions that range from one spectrum to the other. From one side to the other, halalu metamen, halalu metarim. These are saying tamid. These are saying tor. Halalu isin, halalu matirim. These are saying asur. These are saying mutter. Halalu poislam, halalu machshir. These are saying pasul. Those are saying kasher. So this debate is raging in the base hamedrash, and perhaps a bit confusing. Shema yom adam. Perhaps a person will say, "This is for me too confusing." I open up a sefer. I see shitas this way, shitas that way. How am I going to make sense of all this? What am I going to do? How can I learn in this manner? It's so confusing. So many opinions from one side of the spectrum to the other. The answer is in that pasuk. You meant to know. It's all coming from one source. It's all from one shepherd, which means Hashem, the one Hashem. He's the one that gave us the Torah. And although there is lots of debates. Raging in the base of Knesset, base of Medrash, but really they're all trying to get to the same point to figure out what Hashem had in mind, so to speak. And they're only bringing Rayas, Rashi says, they're proving their point from words of Torah. Nothing personal there, nothing subjective, it's all from the Torah. Parnas Echad Amaran. It's all conveyed by that same leader, Moshe Rabbeinu, and everybody's supporting their opinion from the words of Moshe. It's all from the master of all happenings. The master of the world, Hashem. So, it's all leading to the same point. We're all trying to understand the same thing. There's no conflict. There's nothing personal here. And therefore, try to learn it all. Because every opinion counts. Everybody has a valid point. And in fact, the more the better. The more opinions. The more machlek is in Torah. The more clarity you get. Therefore, you as well. Bend your ear like an avarches, like a funnel. Take it all in. 
Acquire for yourself an understanding heart. So absorb all the opinions. The ones that say Tommy, the ones that say Tar. I just, re- I just want to read for you the words of the Rebbein Hanan off to the side. He says, this fellow is encountering difficulty. He says, this is confusing. And the response is like this. Listen to it all. All the opinions, all the shittas. You're going to get to the clarity. You're going to get to the halacha at the end of the day. Because although it appears like there's a war ranging, so many conflicting opinions, at the end of the day, it affords clarity. At the end of the day, they'll conclude with clarity. There's love at the end. The objective is clarity in Hashem's Torah. Nothing personal here. At the end of the day, they'll come to consensus. In fact, I once heard that one of the benefits of, of Machlekes and Torah is that, you know, when you have your own opinion, so you say it, you move on. But when there's somebody opposing you, somebody challenging that opinion, now, now, it gets serious. So each individual look to uh, prove his point, to disprove the other fellow, of course, L'Shem Shemayim, but you get much deeper, much broader. And at the end of the day, the, the topic that's uh, that's being discussed and being debated um, gets, gets broader and gets clearer and is... Uh, it's covered in a much deeper way through this machlekes process than otherwise. So bottom line is, the machlekes, the opinions, they all contribute to the ultimate clarity that we're trying to achieve. At the end of the day, you'll have the halacha, plus you'll understand the sugya, in which case, you know, once you get the essence of the topic, through learning it, through the machlekes, through the discussions, now you can take it and internalize it and apply it elsewhere to a different case. It's not just a dry bottom line. You internalize the, the concepts behind it. And that's the way to learn Torah. So be sure. Heard them out. What a beautiful drasha from Rabbi Lezab Nazaria. So he exclaimed as follows. He said in the following Lashon. Wow. How fortunate are we? To have a blessed Nazari amongst us, a generation which is to the presence of Rabbi Lazar is not a Duryasim, it's not an orphaned generation. We're so lucky to have such a great leader. And what's the connection between Duryasim and and, and, and Rabbi Nazari? So the Chlam Seif says a beautiful word. The Gemara earlier tells us, right? This was the first. The first divert that they said over from Rabbi Lezer. Why are you bring the children to the Beis Hamikdash? The answer was, right? The men come to learn, the women to be inspired. The children, So you would think the Gemara means to say like this: little uh, toddlers, the Masha says, are speaking younger than Chinuch. They don't really appreciate, you know, the Shul, the Beis Hamikdash. You bring them along. You would think the Gemara means to say it so that uh, by osmosis it's going to sink in, they'll absorb something which will benefit them long term. The Gemara doesn't say that. The Gemara says, to give schar to the ones that bring them, to the parents. Is that the point? Why are you getting schar for bringing them? 
Apparently they're getting inspired. So say that. The men come to learn, the women to listen, the kids, some sort of inspiration they'll get. Why does the Pasuk, why does the Torah stress, why does the Gemara stress? The, pur- the purpose is to give schar to the parents. Say the Chlam Seifer like this. Just picture it. Once in seven years, the king, Hakel, it's beautiful. What a moment, what an opportunity. What a ruchnistic experience. Parents want to come without the little babies. You know, you bring a kid to shul, kid wants to know when he's going home, he wants to have the snack, he's coming in, he's coming out, it's like, you know, it's like the, uh, the Kia Schaefer scene, you know, the baby's crying. Parents are giving up their concentration, their focus. That's what Hashem wants. He wants to see parents willing to sacrifice their spiritual success, so to speak, their spiritual experiences in order to give their kids a proper chinuch. That's why Hashem says, bring the kids. I want to see mysterious nefesh. I want to see parents giving up. Bringing the kid to Shul, Taisa says. Bringing the kid on Rosh Hashanah when you want to really dedicate yourself with full kavanah. Bring those kids along. We're going to ask you, where's the chazan holding? And when can I leave? Bring them along. Give up a little bit. And that is schar. That will give you schar for yourself. You won't lose anything. And your kids as well. You have to say after the Shemaya and the Chinech of your children. That's why Rabbi Shul responds. He says, What a leader. Such a dur. Such a leader. Who looks after the kids. He tells us to be machanach our kids even at our own expense. This generation is going to have good kids. The kids today are going to be looked after because of this tzaddik who tells us how to do it right. Beautiful Chassam Asks the Gemara, why were they hesitating? You know, he asked them to say over something. They didn't want, Why didn't they tell him right away what Rebbe said in the Bessamish? Because they were afraid. There was a similar story which ended a bit tragically. The Sanya Masa Rabbi Bender Maskis. So he went to visit Shalach Lahakbil Pnei Rebbe came to visit Rebbe Lezer Lut. turns to him, Machidish Hoya the same question. What was going on in the Besamedrish? Amr Lesser responded right away. I'll tell you what happened. Uh, interesting. Chiddush they introduced today in the Besamedrish. They concluded that those territories outside of Israel, on the other side of the Yardin, on the East Bank, the Amnumayev territories, are not really part of Israel. They don't have Kedush Israel, and you can really work the land on Shemitah. Ma'asrin Masru Ani Beshviz. On Shemitah, they work the land. You know what? They will separate Masarani for the Aniyam and Eretz Yisrael to give them what they need because in Eretz Yisrael, remember, there is no Masarani Ashmi, there's nothing growing. We made it that that in Amun Mayav, we do Masarani Ashmita. That was the Chiddush we had today in Besamedish. Good Chiddush? Amalai said the Rebbeza, the host, was irked, was upset. Rashi explains because. Because uh, it wasn't a, a new halacha. It was an old halacha. And why are they taking credit for it? They should have attributed it to the early generations. So he took it as an affront. Masha says it was like, rabbi, like a Talmud uh, ruling, ruling in front of his rabbi. It was like sort of the, uh, he was like exhibiting authority in front of his rabbi. And the penalty for that is Misa. And 
one who was blind, a summa is chashav kemeis, equated with a person who was meis. So he mitigated the oyin. He told him like this: Amr la yosi, shait yadecha. Open up your hands. The kabbalei nechan, let your eyes fall into your hands. You become blind. That's what happened. Pashat yada the kibul einav. Bachar Belazer Bamar Belazer responds with a pasuk. He starts crying. He says, "Soy da Hashem liyreiv, obrisi liyadiam." Look, Hashem conveys His secrets to the ones who fear Him. He gives the chachma to the tzaddikim. The fact is, they they hit the nail on the head. This halacha that He just told me, the name of the Beis Hamedrash, it was right on. It was an old halacha. Amar he told his guest Rabbi Yosi, "Leich Emerlam, go tell the the chacham back in the Beis Hamedrash." But they're right. Don't be concerned about your conclusion. Don't have regrets and second guesses and question your conclusion because the halacha is correct. In fact, I know this from way back. Heard from his rabbi. All the way up. Actually, some say it's not really it's just a term used here that it was a clear accepted halacha like because really this is the rabbanon. Right, to give Masrani and Amun Amar just Rabban. In any case, it was an accepted, uh, conclusive halacha that Amun Umayev Masr Masrani Beshviyas. Those farmers in Amun Umayev they will give Masrani Ashmita. Matam. What's the reason for this halacha? What was the point of Masrani Ashmita? The answer is like this: because there were many Aniyim in Eretz who were destitute on Shmita. There's nothing wrong in Eretz Yisrael. Many uh, cities that were kaf shu'el Mitzrayim. Even when they came from Mitzrayim, they Capture Eretz Yisrael. They were Mekadosh Eretz Yisrael. But that Kedusha was short-lived. It was for the time being. But when they went back into Golis, that Kedusha expired. Then when they came back a second time, they were only Mekadosh, a limited uh, area in Eretz Yisrael. They left out some areas. When they came back from Bavel, they did not conquer everything. They weren't Mekadosh everything. For instance, Amun Amoyev was left out of the fold, was left non-Kedosh. Not really part of Eretz Yisrael. Because the initial Kedusha on the way up from Mitzrayim, that was a time-related Kedusha, as long as Eshashor was inhabited by Yisrael, but afterwards it expired. So once it went to Golos, it lost its Kedusha. It lost its Kedusha for the future. So although when they returned to Eshashor, after the, uh, the Golos bubble, they re-sanctified Eshashor, but they left something out. They left Amun Amoyev out of the picture. Why? This will allow them to work the fields on Shemitah. This will allow them to set aside portions for the Anim and Eretz Yisrael to supply them with their basic needs. The Anim can rely on the Masirani coming from Amun Emoyev. Tana, we learned in the Brisa, this was a, the postscript to the story. Once, uh, Orbelezer uh, felt at ease, calmed down. Omar, he said, Hashem, please uh, restore his eyesight. It should be Hashem's rotsen that his eyes should be restored. Because, in fact, uh, that's what happened. There's a, a story with a big tzaddik. They say a story that he came to a, a chuppah and the chasm was blind. He says, Look, uh, the Gemara says, <laughs> I'm a kalish as a isha. Right? You can't be a kalish. You have to see the color. No, what's going on? And suddenly he was able to see. So, Bracha Vatsadik, Tfil Vatsadik. There's a story in, in Egypt. Many years ago, there was a killer in Mitzrayim, and there was a, a Dayan, a big Chacham, a Rav, and he used to sign his name in a very strange way. 
Reb Chaim Baal Hanes, one who experienced the miracle. What was the story behind that signature? The story was as follows. So he was a Dayan, he was a judge in the Bezden for many, many years. And when he reached old age, his eyesight started, uh, started waning, started getting weaker. And he was concerned that people might think that he took bribes. The Pasuk says, One who takes bribes, it affects his eyesight. He was concerned about Chilu Hashem. They might think he took bribes. That's why he's suffering. That's why he's losing his eyesight. So he wanted to dispel that notion. So what do you do? He gets up in Shul on Shabbos in front of the entire community. He says, Rabbi Yisai, I can promise you, I was a dying Don Emes Lamite. never took a bribe. And I'll prove it. If it is so, apparently he had detractors, right? Those who challenged and opposed him, right? Uh, like the way he... So he said, Rabbi Yisai, that's the Emes. And in fact, Hashem will prove it. If it is so, that I am innocent of this, of this uh, crime, Hashem should restore my eyesight. That's what happened. Suddenly you can see clearly his eyes were fully functioning. This was a tremendous Kiddush Hashem to dispel the rumors, dispel the, the notion that he was a, a dishonest judge. Suddenly he could see perfectly. And from that moment onward, ever since then he signed his name, Rab Chaim Baal Hanes, the one who experienced the Nes. So Mishra spoke about a Cherish Shoytevekotten. What constitutes a Shoytev? What qualifies? Ezehu Shoytev. What are the simonim of a Shoytev? Hayoytev Yechid Balayla. One who walks out alone at night, perhaps referring to the days of old where a lot of mazikim in the street and it wasn't common to walk out at night, it was dark, it was lonely. This fellow was roaming the streets at night. Balon Vesakvaris. This fellow, he lives in the Vesakvaris, he sleeps there overnight. He tears apart his clothing. These are indications of a deranged fellow. All three together, or even one, is enough of an indication. When he has all three things, he exhibits three signs of, of shtus. That's a simon that he's a deranged fellow. But just one, at it, just one alone is not. Even one alone. Is a true indication of a shayt. Now, how do we understand Rafuna? One is not enough. You need three. Hey, Chidami, how is this fellow doing it? How frenzied is he? How, uh, how, how, uh, how is he exhibiting these signs? If he's doing it in a, an excessive way, he's tearing apart his clothing, he's uh, every night in the base of which makes it apparent that it's derech shtus. I feel like even one sign should be enough. This fellow is a shayt. Plus, he's not doing it in a frenzied way. It's not necessarily an exhibition of shtus. He tears his clothing. He's once in the basic verse. We find him once at night. You don't necessarily see the shtus written all over his face. I feel So, even all three would not necessarily prove the point. So, if one's not enough, then three is not enough. We're speaking that he's doing it excessively, in an apparent way. But if it's just one, you know, you could you could excuse it. This fellow is in the Besak first on a regular basis. Perhaps he has a reason for it. He has a plan. Perhaps he's trying to get Ruchatumah so they can uh, engage in witchcraft. He has some sort of 
agenda. He's training for a, witch, uh, a witchcraft uh, career. So it's derech shtus, it's not norm, but it's uh, it's something you can, you can explain. Or, you find him alone at night. Maybe there's a reason for it. Eimer ganad ripas achte. Perhaps he, he was gripped by this gadan ripas condition. He's a depressed fellow. He likes solitude. So that's why he's roaming the streets at night. It's the rashtos, it's not it's not the norm, but you know you can excuse it. Or by Makares Ksusa, his fellows tearing apart his clothing. His fellows caught up, he's spaced out, he's <laughs> so you can explain it. But once he does all three <laughs> but if he exhibits all signs of shtus, you know what it's compared to? Havalu Nagach Shoir You have an ox who damages a shark. Okay, so maybe he, uh, he has something against oxen. He damages a, a donkey. Okay, maybe it's personal. A gummel, camel, maybe it's personal. But once he does all three, Vinasamud, Lakoil is considered habitual gore for all three, for all, all types of um, animals. You know, Pchan Briski used to say, when you have several questions, several kashas, it's better to have one, one teretz, one answer, one solution for all questions. That, that's probably the, the correct approach, rather than answering each question individually. This fellow is goring all the animals that he sees. Apparently, this fellow is an habitual gorer. Rather than saying, well, it's because of the shur, because of the chamar, because of this, because of that. When you see him doing all these things, you no longer look for an answer. The answer is, he's a shayt. Amra <laughs> Papa. One more thing. If Rafuna would have heard the following price, Hadassan, Ezehu What is a sign of a shayt? Zehama abid komash noisin loy. He loses what we give him. We give him a ten dollar bill, he loses it. That's a sign of a shit. If Rafuna would have heard that, a bride which clearly tells us that even one simon of shit is enough, have a He would have reverted. He would have been chaser. Even one simon is enough. Now what does the Gemara mean? Iboilo. The Bnei Yeshiva asked the Shai. If he heard the bride, he would have changed his mind. Ki have you see, losing what you give him is compared to uh, this fellow tearing apart his clothing. Right? He has a good bag and he's tearing it apart. So these two things are pretty much comparable on the same scale. So the Bryce says, even exhibiting this, this one sign, losing what you give, not looking after your belongings, is enough, is sufficient to apply the term shaita to this fellow. That's right that one is enough. And the closest to this is tearing apart his clothing. So Ravuna would have been chayzer from that, meaning if he's mekarek susay, which essentially means he's neglecting his belongings, that in itself is sufficient reason to consider him a shayt. You don't need the other signs with that. That itself is enough. So he would have been chayzer from that. Ki abahadar bay, mi mekarek susay hu dahavahadar bay. The dami lah, because that's comparable to ma'abid mashan loysen That's enough of a sign. But when it comes to the other, other uh, behavioral um, deficiencies, he's the uh, basic he's on the street. In that case, one is not enough, because it's not a really a strong sign of shtus. You need a combination of signs, a combination of symptoms to indicate the true cause. Or perhaps you can say, Once Rafuna would have heard this price, that ma'abid is sufficient reason to consider him a shaita, 
everything goes into the same boat. All these uh, exhibitions, all these signs uh, of shtus, Beis and the Laila, they're all comparable to Makarek Susay. You see, the Gemara compare them all together. So if Makarek Susay alone is sufficient raya of shtus, so perhaps all the other ones as well. So bottom line is, if Rafuna would have heard this price, that one sign is enough, he would have reverted, he would have conceded, who would have been chayzer, one sign is enough, we're not sure. Is it just Makari Aksusoy? All, all, or all of them have the same halacha as well. Take it, we leave it standing. Okay, let's do a quick chazara on today's daf. So we concluded that if a person is either deaf or dumb, he's pata from hakel and likewise from Riyu. Rav Tanchan tells us, if he's just a cherosh be'oznay achas, he's potter as well. Chige be'ragle achas is potter from her as well. We learned about the beauty of Alila Regal. Bas Nadif, Bas Avramavinu, who was the Nadif, first one who stepped forward, connected to Hashem. We have a story involving a Rishua who asked his guests to relate something from the Besam Medrash. They told him three things in the name of the Nasi of Nazariah regarding bringing the kids to the Hakel ceremony regarding how we hold Hashem special and likewise Hashem considers us to be unique and special regarding the, the Torah experience the all-encompassing Torah experience which really leads to the same point connecting to Hashem and figuring out His Chacham we had the Allah of the Master Ani and Amanu Oye Moya Bashvias and we concluded with the um, with a definition of this uh, shaita personality. All the best to you and much